Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I don't need to tell you that life gets hard. Life gets hard, really hard. But God's faithfulness is still active and alive in our hard. And these episodes are dedicated to remembering and claiming the promises of a faithful God. I'm your host, Angie Bauman. I'm a pastor and Bible teacher, founder of Steady On Ministries, and creator of the Step-by-Step Bible Study Method. But more than that, I'm a trauma and abuse survivor who carried a heavy weight of shame and worthlessness for many years, and I still struggle, but I live in much more freedom now because I know God through His Word and speak truth to the lies of the enemy with His Word. And that's what we do here. On Mondays, we take it in by studying the promises of God, And on Wednesdays, we live it out with teaching and testimony on the promises of God. So thank you for tuning in, my friend. You are the reason for this show, and I'm so very, very glad you are here. Let's get started. Welcome, friend. Today, we're going to take it in with Isaiah 61.3 using my step-by-step Bible study method. And you'll find links to a study sheet as well as videos for the step-by-step masterclass in today's show notes if you'd like to learn more. We're going to be in Isaiah 61.3, as I just said, but before we get started in that, I want to read just a little bit more around Isaiah 61.3 because I want to give some context and set this up just a little bit. So in the NIV, I'm actually going to read Isaiah 61.1, 2, and 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Okay, so again, that's Isaiah 61, 1, 2, and 3. And Isaiah 61, 3 is where we're going to camp out. And we're actually just going to camp out on a small section of Isaiah 61, 3 that talks about to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of compress So that again, we kind of hang on to this context. Isaiah 61, one starts, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And then we skip to what one of the things that he's anointed me to do. And that is to to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. So again, one more time, I'm just going to kind of, I'm just melting this together a little bit so we get this context. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Okay, so that's where we're going to kind of hang out. So thank you for letting me set that up just a little bit. As we kind of get started, uh, just keep in mind that ashes or sackcloth and ashes were signs of grief and distress. Jewish people would often dress in sackcloth and cover their heads with ashes in times of mourning, grief, despair, distress. Sackcloth was uncomfortable and itchy and ashes were dirty and dark. So that's what he's talking about. Instead of a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, uh, a light, a life, instead of the way that you're living in darkness and uncomfortableness. 
Just another side note to hang on to as we study. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in his home synagogue, and he reads Isaiah 61 and 1, verses 1 and 2, and announces after he reads those verses that I just read, 61, 1 and 2, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this happens before he is rejected at Nazareth. Okay, so one more time where we're hanging out, again, this is the NIV, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A little bit about the book of Isaiah. And we've been in Isaiah a couple of times already this year. In January, we read, uh, we studied Isaiah 43, 19. In February, we studied Isaiah 40, 31. That was an episode with my friend Susie Crosby. And today here we are in April. Back in Isaiah 61.3, the author is the prophet of Isaiah. He was a prophet for uh, around 58 years, they think. He prophesied to both the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. The date of the writing is around 740 to 680 BC. And the purpose of Isaiah's writing is to remind his readers of the special relationship they had with God as members of the nation of Israel God's special covenant community. And if you've been hanging around here anytime at all, you know that whenever we talk about the Old Testament prophets, I always say that the theme to me, as I have studied and listened to God speak to me through studying the Old Testament prophets, is always this call to turn away from, turn away from the cultural influences that keep us from connecting to God, that keep us from living by God's precepts and commands and turn back toward God and his instruction for our life so that we can two things. One, avoid the snare, the coming destruction of captivity and loneliness and separation, the consequences that inevitably come in our lives when we are not connected with God. So to avoid the coming destruction and the second thing, to live under the umbrella of his blessing that is covenant relationship with our creator. So it's a turn away, turn towards theme in the book of Isaiah. And chapter one, specifically, it's made up of 11 verses. The enduring word says the theme is out of the mouth of the Messiah. The Bible knowledge commentary says it's about the coming of the Messiah. The NIV labels it as the year of the Lord's favor. And we're going to be in the top part of Isaiah 61, talking about what the Messiah will do. So that's where we're hanging out in the book of Isaiah, talking about what the Messiah will do. And again, one of the things that 61 says the Messiah will do, our verse says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Step one in the Bible study method is to choose our word, and our word today is bestow. The definition, the English definition of bestow is to give, to confer, to present something to someone or something, especially as a gift or honor. And I had to look up confer. I thought I knew what it meant, but I needed to know what it meant. And it means to grant as a possession. The opposite of bestow is condemn, decrease, deny, destroy, disagree, hurt, keep, neglect, oppose, conceal, reject, withstand, hide. I like to plug in the opposites because that gives me this sense of heaviness that opens my heart 
to the promise. So here again is the promise to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. But the opposite says to condemn them into ashes, right? If we take away what he is going to do, to destroy them, to neglect them. That one hurts when I think about God neglecting his children. It hurts to oppose them, to reject them. That hurts too, to hide from them. So that's what he's not going to do, right? He's not going to do those things. Instead, the Messiah is going to bestow on them, on us, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Step two in the method is to investigate. We divide that up into four four parts. Part one is to compare our word in other translations. I found a couple of different things. In the King James, I, I found give. In the NIRV, I found put. So he will give to his people a crown of beauty instead of ashes, or he will put upon his people a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Part two in the investigate step is to research the original word. The Strong's number is H5414, Nothan. It is a root word that means to give, used with great latitude of application. Give is a very familiar word in the English language, is it not? But this means give in great latitude, like give with a little asterisk, give in all capitals, like it's yelling at us. I'm giving you something, right? When I did a word study using the logo software, it did say give. It also said hand down. And I liked that a lot too, because we often imagine that God is like far away from us or something, but it's like a meeting of God because God is not far away from us when we open our hearts to his presence. And so he's like, I, I'm bigger than you, but I have this thing to bestow on you. I have this thing to hand down to you, right? I have it and I'm giving it in a wide application to you. Part three of the investigate step is to read commentary. The enduring word said this, because sin brings grief, he will comfort all who mourn. The extent of the comfort and restoration is beautifully described. Instead of the ashes of mourning, he gives people beauty. It went on to say, the word beauty has in mind a beautiful crown or head ornament. It is translated exquisite hats in Exodus 39, 28 and headdresses in Isaiah 3.20. In mourning, ashes would be cast upon the head. Here, the ashes are replaced with a beautiful crown. Alexander McLaren says this about Jesus. In the little synagogue of Nazareth, Jesus began his ministry by laying his hand upon this great prophecy and saying, it is mine, I have fulfilled it. The prophet had been painting the ideal messianic deliverer with special reference to the return from the Babylonian captivity. That was the liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound about which he was thinking. But no external deliverance of that sort could meet the needs nor satisfy the aspirations of a soul that knows itself and its circumstances. Isaiah or the man who goes by his name spoke greater things than he knew. I remember after our car crash, if you've been hanging around here anytime at all, you've probably heard me tell this story. 
But I remember not very long after our crash when I was really settling into the enormity of my circumstance. And I was pretty sad and I was pretty discouraged. And there was one evening where there were people at our house trying to make some plans about helping us. And it made me angry because they needed to help us because I couldn't do anything. I didn't do anything for myself at the time. I did not take care of my children. I did not take care of my home. I was not able to work. I didn't even go to the bathroom on my own. It was a low period of time. And I remember just feeling this invitation from the Lord and saying, you know what? You look upon everything that you have lost You look at everything that's going on right now and you see ashes and you are sitting in this sackcloth of uncomfortable and this place of grief and you are very focused on what you've lost. And I felt him acknowledging what I've lost, like not trying to convince me I hadn't lost it because he knew we both knew that I had, I had lost so much, but he also invited me to say, while you see only ashes, Angie, I see beauty. I know what can come from this. I know where we can go from here if you submit yourself to the work that I want to do in your heart and in your life. And nothing happened right away from that, except for just my ability to hear the invitation. But friend, that planted my feet in a different direction. And I began to look for reasons to be thankful. And I began to find reasons to praise him. And I began to look for the things that I hadn't lost or see the things that I hadn't lost. And then eventually I began to look at the things that I had gained. And internally that put me on a path of dealing with abuse in my past and being able to share my story and be able to believe that it had purpose, to be able to believe that I had purpose outside of just what I could do or accomplish, but because of who I was and because God saw me as beautiful and valuable. And as I'm talking to you about this right now, 12 years had passed. This was not some kind of you know, spontaneous, miraculous thing, except it was miraculous because I'm a very different woman today than I was that day sitting in my sackcloth and ashes. And it is because the Lord said, I look upon what you see as lost and I see life and hope and light and promise. Part four is in the investigate step is what we call rewrite. And again, I'm just going to read the verse that says from the NIV to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That's the promise we're focusing on. And I rewrote the verse like this. God will grant to me the possession of internal joy that as I embrace it, it will be light and beautiful and colorful on the inside and outside. And that gift of joy and peace will replace the stiffness and grayness of the sackcloth and ashes. Step three in the method is to find the character of God. And we do that from a variety of prompts, lists in the Bible that you will find on that study sheet if you open it. But one of the things I wrote down about God in relationship to this verse and how he spoke to me as I studied this verse is that he is generous, that God gives out of his own beauty so that I can reflect his beauty. That God gives out of his own beauty Like he connects me with him. We have this amazing ability to be a reflection of the love and grace and hope of 
Jesus Christ. And we do that because he's willing to share with us the beauty that is him. I also wrote that he is kind and tender, that he sees and cares about that which has caused me grief, but he invites me to keep choosing his gifts of love and hope and peace and rest and joy. It's not that we haven't lost something. It's not that our story isn't hard. It's that God says that's not the end of the story. And there is a time for mourning and there is a time for sadness and grief, but it doesn't have to be isolated. Even in that sadness and grief and mourning, we can have beauty and rest and peace and hope and joy. Those things can share space and coexist when we invite Jesus into the sadness because he will not leave us stuck anywhere that we are. He won't leave us there. He never will. Step four is to identify the lie, the lie of the enemy that tempts us to reject or overlook or not claim this promise. I wrote down a couple of things. I wrote, there's nothing on the other side of this grief. Grief or despair or the hard place that we find find ourselves can feel hopeless. It can feel like it is the end. It can feel like there's nothing on the other side of it, but that is a lie. Just as I was talking about what I learned after our car crash, it felt hopeless and long and scary. And it was some of those things. It was long and scary at times, but it was never hopeless because God promises to work all things together, right? Romans 8, 28, he promises what the world means to harm us. He means for good, Genesis 50, 20. He promises these things. And so if we believe in those promises, if we claim those promises, if we live by those promises, if we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, when we are able to do those things, then there is something on the other side of our sadness. I also wrote down as a lie, there's no way out of this grief and that you will always grieve. And friend, if you have a difficult story, if you have something really hard that's happened to you, there's always grieving around it. I grieve what I lost. I grieve the innocence that I lost at 16. I grieve that. I grieve some of the things that I think might have been beautiful parts of my life had I not gone to a place so dark. I grieve some of the relationships that I think, at least right now, cannot be healed and restored the way that I wish they were if this hadn't happened to me. That's truth. But I do not grieve my life as a whole. And I do celebrate what God has done on the other side of that experience. And so grief, loss, sadness... While it is true, and while there may be a part of that that we carry with us, it's not the only truth, and it's not the only thing we can carry with us. Amen. So step five is so what, where it's just we we look at a takeaway, something we can take away today, and I write down, when I am having a sackcloth day, when I am throwing ashes upon my head, if you will, I can remember that God has an answer for that. And I can claim the truth that God makes all things beautiful in his time. I would love to hear your takeaway. You can email me anytime at steadyonpodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you have received from today's episode. 
If you haven't yet, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever directory you use to listen. It only takes a second. It really does help the show so much. And so I would just appreciate it if you would do that. I encourage you to tune in on Wednesday for our Live It Out episode with Sue Coral. Sue shares about being born with a cleft palate and the many years of surgeries and therapy and her lifelong journey to accepting herself as worthy and beautiful. And Isaiah 61.3 is a verse that she clings to. Thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you're walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.